BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Hi, everyone. Welcome to With Wit. To give you a little visual, or maybe you can even hear it, I'm moving stools around in my kitchen. I'm sitting at my kitchen counter. I have my Haley Bieber, or rather Skin Glaze Strawberry Probiotic Smoothie from Irwan. Let me take a sip. Mmm. Honestly, these smoothies from Irwan are super expensive and they have to be drank like super quickly because if they're not freezing cold, then they're not as good and they start to turn brown. And lately, I've also been noticing with the Haley Bieber slash strawberry glaze, whatever it's called, they're not putting as much of the strawberry syrup in at the bottom, which is the best part. And I'm not happy about it. So anybody out there, any of the lovely people that work at Erewhon, just, just just a little note, okay? Some strawberry, extra strawberry sauce would be lovely. All right, we just got home from Georgia last night. We had an awesome time. So Timmy's older brother, Carrie, the brother that he's mentioned that he just met, what's it now, like 10 years ago, not even. Timmy's mom had put him up for adoption when she was younger. Anyways, we met him. We love them. They're part of our family. We now have an amazing lake in Georgia to go visit. We stayed with Hillary and Mo. Hillary is Tim's sister and their kids. And honestly, like the first thing that comes to mind when I think about the trip is just like kids, like kids and swimming, kids and swimming, like feeding kids, What are the kids going to eat next? Have they eaten enough? When are they going to go to sleep? Where are they going to go to sleep? Is anybody like drowning in the pool? Like that was the thought process of all the adults throughout the entire day. Like meals, child safety, how's the sleep situation going to go down? And there's obviously a lot of cooks in the kitchen with a lot of parents and then a lot of kids with a lot of different personalities, some that have never even hung out before. And I would say like, I think it went pretty great, all things considered. I think that there were moments of like little annoyances or 
one parent thinking that the other parent wasn't doing enough or vice versa. You know how that goes, like the family dynamics that are part of all of our day in and day out and then get on a vacation with them and live with them as adults. It's like a whole different story. But it was like a blast. Like while all those things were, yes, like flooding our brains and probably made it a little bit hard to relax completely. There were so, so many highlights, like going on the boat, the pontoon boat, which I used to go on in Missouri with my family every summer. Like that was just so fun seeing the kids pure joy, just like swimming in life jackets on the lake was so great. And just like chilling in the jacuzzi with nowhere to be like no calls to be made, no emails that had to be tended to. Of course, like social media gets to be a little bit of a responsibility because I feel like I need to be showing people what I'm up to and like staying current and showing them what I'm using and da, 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 da. And like I try and I do the best that I can do. And I wish that I could do a little bit more and show a little bit more of the details, like the intricacies of what I pack and how I prepare for the plane and, you know, like house tour or five minute getting ready situation for a backyard boil or whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't know, like I feel like I should always be doing more, but I also have to be okay with that. I'm enjoying myself and being in the moment and just like doing what I can. So yeah, that was our trip. It was, it was great. Like, I'm so happy to be back though. I feel like some major shifts are happening and a lot of exciting things are happening. I'm working on my next Rent the Runway collection, which always brings me so much joy. The house is about to be done. Like we're shooting the WP Inc house next week. And we're about to share that. And that just feels so exciting, like a whole new stage somewhere to work and have that team energy and vibe and working on joint, which I know I've mentioned a little bit about, but I have been really thinking about how cannabis has played a part in my life in like such a positive way and how it's helped with certain sleepless nights or it's calmed me down when I'm feeling super anxious or it's helped me like work out a muscle more because I'm more zoned in on it during a workout. And I thought like, Women are using cannabis. Women are taking gummies or maybe they're smoking it or maybe they're using it as a cream, but like they're using it. And I want to create a safe space for that because I think that it can be used in a really positive, safe way if you know what you're actually taking and doing. And I don't think that it should be shied away from. So anyways, Joint is something that I've been working on. It will be a marketplace and a community for women in cannabis to feel like supported and educated. And I'm really excited because we're making some strides with that. But now on to my guest. She's awesome. Her name is Susan Kane. She is the number one bestselling author of Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Makes Us Whole, an Oprah's Book Club pick, and Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, which spent nine years on the New York Times bestseller list and has been translated into 40 languages. Susan's TED Talks have been viewed over 40 million times. LinkedIn named her the top 
top sixth influencer in the world. Susan partners with Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, and Dan Pink to curate the next Big Idea Book Club. They donate all their proceeds to children's literacy programs. We discussed her book, Bittersweet, Grief, Identifying Our Emotions, and so much more. This conversation was just so lovely. Here is Susan. Hi, I'm so happy to be chatting with you this morning. How are you? I'm very good. It's so great to talk to you. I am so thrilled to be speaking with you. I have now learned so much about you and have been so inspired by all of your messages. And I feel like before we dive into your work and your latest book, Bittersweet, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your background and what got you starting in writing and becoming a speaker. Oh, gosh. Well, those yeah. are two. <laughs> Those are two such separate questions for me. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Which I say because I wanted to be a writer since I was four years old. Mm. And that was like a whole trajectory that we could talk about of how that actually happened because I, I ended up doing this massive detour of practicing corporate law for almost 10 years before switching wow. to writing. But then speaking was a whole other thing entirely because I used to be a an extremely terrified and phobic public speaker. But once I became a writer, like didn't want my fear of speaking to stand in the way. So I went on this whole long journey to overcome that fear, which actually miraculously worked. Although I don't actually want to say miraculously because I, anybody can overcome that fear, or any other fear, as I discovered. I'm interested. So your first book was Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. Do you consider yourself an introvert? Oh, yeah, definitely. I Yeah, I am. You know, I, I've always made friends easily, but always wanted to socialize one-on-one. -on -one. I usually, like, I'm really happy to go to dinner with one or two or three close friends. And then there's always the moment after like two or three hours where I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, now I'm when done. When is this over? Yeah. Yeah. And everybody yeah. else seems to be very happy to keep going for another three hours. That happens to me all the time. So, so yes, I am an introvert and have been thinking or been aware, I think all of my life of the difference between how I prefer to spend my time versus uh -huh. how we feel we're supposed to spend our time. Totally. I was just talking about this with my husband last week. Because what about I, you? Yeah, way. I I think I'm an introvert. I, I feel the same. Like I could even be at dinner with my best friend and be sitting there. I mean, my time span is shorter. After an hour and a half, all I'm thinking about is like, I just want to be home on my couch with my husband or in my comfort zone. And I start to feel really guilty because I'm like, but I'm with my best friend and this should be enjoyable. But I can't help like whenever I'm in social situations, I'm always thinking about when, when do I get to leave? And it's starting to make me feel really bad about myself, honestly. <laughs> oh my gosh. I wish you didn't feel badly because Ugh. I cannot tell you how many people feel the exact same way. And a lot of them are people where you would never guess it because, mm -hmm. you know, we're not supposed to act that we're not supposed to like talk about that or act as if we're dying to get home. So you have no idea, but yeah. people come and tell me because that's the book that I wrote. And totally. So I know how many of them there are. Totally. Um, and it's like, I always used to have this in me a little bit, but I don't think that I was like wise enough or educated enough in this 
world to know that's what I was or to like label myself. But I've also found as I'm getting older and older, I'm more able to really define my feelings. And this is something that I've noticed time and time and time again. And I'm like, I do want to get out there. I want to go to the events that I'm invited to. I want to stay connected with my friends, but I'm like, how do I do that under my own circumstances that make me feel okay? You know, I know exactly. And I've often thought that if the, if the typical social event were an hour and a half long, if that were just like the way yeah. The social protocols were, I would, I would, I would want to say yes to almost everything. Right. But because the social protocols are usually more like three to five hours, I, I find myself dragging my heels more. And I will say, I have a friend who I noticed, I don't even think she had thought about the following thing, but I started noticing that every time we would be at some kind of party or event together, mm-hmm. she, after about an hour and a half would just graciously make her exit. You know, mm-hmm. she would go over to the host and say, thank you. And appear to have no embarrassment about it whatsoever and just, mm-hmm. you know, take her leave. I just, and I realized no one else, no one else even would have noticed. It's just because this is my work that I, right. I did. And certainly no one cares or minds or faults her or feels bad or anything. And watching her made me realize, oh, you know, there's actually a lot more social latitude than people feel that they have. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I'm trying to deal with that. And I'm trying to balance how much I push myself out of my comfort zone and just say yes to things versus protecting myself and saying no in advance so that I don't have to either like back out or cancel or leave early or whatever. It's just like, I mean, I do think there's a middle path where you don't have to say no and you don't have to be out of your comfort zone all the time, you know, like, and and you could start again with that little by little theme. I mean, yeah. by like just talking to your best friend who you were just talking about and right. explaining how you feel. And then maybe you schedule your get togethers for an hour and a half or two hours or whatever. And right. And if she knows this about you, then no one has to really think twice about it. Huh. So, I mean, I, at the same time, like I, I actually am a believer in going outside our comfort zones some of the time, just that right. it shouldn't be all of the time. And, right. And it should be for the things that really matter most to us, as opposed to like, oh, there's something wrong with the way I am. So I'll always go outside my comfort right. zone in right. order not to be this way. It, right. like, it shouldn't be that. It should be more like, okay, is this party really meaningful to my friend or right. is this work event really going to get my business to where I want it to be? Okay. So for that, I'm going to go outside my comfort zone. And then after that, I get to go home and take a walk around the block by myself or like whatever you do to recharge. So just to kind of think intentionally about it. Yeah, no, I think that's really helpful. Okay, now a word from our sponsors. May is Food Allergy Awareness Month and Ready, Set, Food is on a mission to raise awareness of food allergies and the importance of early allergy introduction. Okay, so currently one in 13 babies develop food allergies each year. However, babies don't have to get food allergies. Evidence-based research, USDA guidelines, pediatricians, and allergists all agree that feeding small amounts of common food allergens like peanut, egg, and milk 
daily for six months or more, starting at four months is essential for all babies to give them the best chance at a future of food freedom. But as anyone who's ever been in charge of feeding a baby knows, it can be really scary to introduce allergens. Ready Set Food was developed by an allergist and a mom of two to make it easy, safe, and convenient to regularly feed babies low doses of the most common food allergens like peanuts, eggs, and milk starting right from the bottle. Ready Set Food has products that evolve with your child's feeding journey from bottles to solids. Try the daily mix-ins that you stir into a bottle or food and take the guesswork out of early allergen introduction. Their tasty, healthy, organic baby oatmeal and toddler organic oat and fruit snack bars that have the allergens already inside make it so easy to maintain allergen exposure for busy families and picky eaters. I highly, highly recommend that you put your mind at ease and try Ready Set Food. My sister was listening to this podcast last week and heard this and was like, I am checking this out. So Visit readysetfood.com slash with wit to learn more and get exclusive discounts on these amazing early allergen introduction products. All right. Did you listen to my podcast episode with the Clear Stem founders, Danielle and Kaylee? If not, you need to right after you finish this one. I learned so many amazing skincare tips that help with acne, but also help with anti-aging that I had never heard before. Clear Stem skincare is really revolutionary. Like I said, it's anti-aging, anti-acne, and non-toxic all at the same time. It stems from research based on over eight years of San Diego Acne Clinic's clinical work. So if you're struggling with acne, I highly recommend their hormonal acne supplement, Mind, Body, Skin. It's actually the best natural alternative to Accutane. I didn't even know there was one. Mind, Body, Skin is a revolutionary way to control acne at its source. It targets oil, digestion, detoxification, stress, PMS, and hormones at the same time. You'll start seeing results in seven days. Another product I love and have been using daily is the Bounce Back No Botox Serum. Bounce Back is a unique, powerful peptide serum that tells your skin to repair itself and generate new, healthy collagen. I've noticed such a difference in my texture and in the glowiness of my skin since I started using it. It is part of my nighttime routine, like I said. So all these products are formulated by the acne guru, Danielle Gronick. You should note, ClearStem products contain zero pore clogging ingredients and combine all three categories of skincare. Anti-aging meets anti-acne meets clean beauty. So go to clearstemskincare.com and use code WITHWIT for 15% off your order. That's clearstemskincare.com code WITHWIT for 15% off your order. Are you looking for some good, clean positivity? Good, me neither. I'm Maddie Murphy and I host The Bad Broadcast, a weekly comedy podcast dedicated to talking about everything we love to hate. I searched my whole life to find my passion. Little did I know I had been practicing my true talent every single day, complaining. Join me every Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to follow me on Instagram at The Bad Broadcast to answer our weekly questions and for a chance to be featured on the show. See you there. All right, back to the chat. 
Okay, so let's get into Bittersweet Them. This is something that I really, really identified with. So the title of the book is Bittersweet, How Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole. So I'm so interested in this angle because I unfortunately have had like a good amount of grief and sorrow hit me at a young age. And I, I know. And like, I feel like sometimes my life is just always bittersweet, you know, like everything that happens, there's just like a tinge of bitterness to whatever sweetness there is. And I'm curious, just first, what, what was the story behind this? Like, what's the impetus that got you to sit down and write about this? Well, I mean, I guess, you know, in my family too, there have been our share of sorrows that Mm -hmm. just made me know that that is the nature of life, that there's Mm -hmm. joy and there's sorrow and there's loss and there's love. And that always goes together. And like, I've lived that, so I know it. But But the impetus for the book was really my lifelong, intensely kind of near ecstatic reaction to sad music. Like I I hear sad Mm -hmm. music and I just find it so surpassingly beautiful. I'm the same way. I'm the same. I'm so touched by sad music. Like I can immediately feel like the deepest depths of my soul and like the tears come on, but sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. And do you feel like this sort of tidal wave of love when you hear it for like, yes, Right. It's like, it's like love for the musician and love for all the other love for the the people who have experienced the sorrow Mm -hmm. that the music is expressing. It's Mm -hmm. it's all of it. And so I wanted to figure out why the heck that was, you know, and, and I had this experience in law school where I was listening to music like that one day in my dorm and some friends came by to pick me up so we could go to class together. And they thought it was hilarious that I was like blasting out this sad music. Mm-hmm. And, and that was so many years ago, but I, I could never stop thinking about it of like, well, what is it about that right. music that feels so transforming? And, and why did that seem funny to them? Like, what is it about our culture right. that makes it that you're not really supposed to say that you like sad totally. music? I mean- it's so funny. I was literally <laughs> I same dinner. I picked up my best friend and I was listening to some sad song and she gets in the car and she's like, oh, God, what's this? And I was, <laughs> yes. You know, and I was like, I don't know. It makes me feel something. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and yeah. I'm sure it like and it wasn't just that she was saying we have different taste in music neutrally. It was more like, I think she was making like a value statement of like, what's wrong with you for listening to this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so these were the questions I was trying to figure out the answer to. And so at first, I don't even know if I knew it was going to be a book. I just wanted to figure that out. Mm -hmm. But what I started realizing is there's this whole bittersweet tradition and it goes through all our religions and all our literature and our art and our music and our philosophy. Mm-hmm. Like people have this thing that you've been feeling all your life. Mm-hmm. People have been feeling it for centuries in every culture that you look at mm-hmm. and people understand how much it matters and how much it's kind of connected to the highest depths of, mm-hmm. of humanity, you know, and, and that it is one of the, the greatest bridges of connection that we have to each other. The, the, the expression of, of a kind of mutual sorrow Right. Along with a mutual joy, like they're, that, that the two are, are infinitely and forever braided together. It yeah. just feels like I think it's in our human nature 
to, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like it's in our human nature to get bogged down by negative emotions more than be like elated and, and run with our happy emotions. You know, I just feel like we can get stuck in sadness or stress with like blinders up to anything else. So how, yeah, tell me how you recommend we check in and like figure out how to get ourselves out of those moments of sadness or, or not even how to get out of it, but how to recognize them and then move off of them or, you know, I do, but I think there's two different ways to understand, you know, quote, negative emotions, because mm-hmm. the first one is what you're talking about in that question that, which, which is, it is true. Like evolution, we're, we're evolutionarily designed to have what psychologists call a negativity bias where, yes, you know, you might like, read a hundred comments that people made about your podcast and 99 of them are, are so enthusiastic. And one person says something critical and you remember the critical one. Of course. Yeah. And that's total human nature and, you know, it's kind of unfortunate, but it is what it is. (laughs) We just have to be mindful of that when we're doing it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and it does help to be mindful of it Mm because you can be like, oh, come on, you know, forget that one. And you can talk to yourself a little bit, but but I think there's some there's another aspect there to what we call negative, and it's what you and I are talking about in our reaction to sad music. And it's a great lesson of all our religions and all our art and music, which is basically, I mean, like the the ep, epi, I always get mixed up between epigraph and epitaph. The epigraph <laughs> to my book is is from Leonard Cohen. You know, the famous line of "There is a crack in everything." Uh-huh. that's where the light gets in. I just and, got full body chills. Uh-huh. Yeah. So true. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and, and like Rumi, like the, the, the great 12th century Sufi poet, you know, he talks about how the, the, the grief that you cry out from is what draws you toward union. And like mm. your, your sadness is the secret cup. So mm-hmm. this is, this is the message of every centuries old tradition. And, I don't even think we have a word to express it because the only word we have is the word negative and negative is a word that is inherently negative. (laughs) So it's hard for us even to grasp this, this idea that that sadness or stress or grief are not negative, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously they feel terrible, but they're also, they can break your heart open. Mm-hmm. It, and and bring light in and bring more love in. We we do have the capacity for that to happen. And I think that that's why we find that music so ecstatic for those of us who do, because it, it's telling us that. Right. And it's like cathartic. It feels like you're releasing something when you have these emotions because you don't want to just hold them in. I feel like that's when the stress and the cancers and the all that stuff builds up, right? It's about finding maybe positive ways to release those emotions. Does that to, make sense? Yeah, to to release them and and to connect around them, you mm-hmm. know, like to understand when you're having those emotions that mm-hmm. you're connected to like all of humanity at that moment. You know, like you were saying, you, you had a lot of losses early in your life. And yeah. So, and, and maybe not everybody has had that, but guaranteed everyone's going to have losses that totally unhorse them at Uh some point Uh and we're all connected in that and that there's something incredibly transcendent about that as well it's so true it's just it's so hard because 
the grief can come up in so many different ways. And I think it's really hard to know when it's coming up and from what it's coming from, you know, like I, unfortunately, when I was 17, my aunt committed suicide. Mm. And then I know my mom found her so, so extremely traumatic. And then my dad, 10 years ago, passed away. He was diagnosed with stage four cancer and then lived with it and tried, we tried to fight it for a year, but unfortunately he lost his battle to it. And it's like, I, sorry, thank you. And, and, and we each have our own waves that hit us, you know, everyone, and I'm sorry to say, and lucky for you, if you haven't had something yet, but like, we're, we're human and these things are inevitable, but I just sometimes wonder how I can understand and live with knowing that there's light in the dark without the dark, like completely taking over, you know? And I, I just sometimes don't know why certain behaviors I have or certain sadnesses I have or anxieties even because anxiety doesn't, it's like so in the air, you can't really sometimes identify it. I can't sometimes discern what is grief from what's happened in my past and what is actually, I'm having such a hard time explaining this. What is actually real anxiety that's happening now? I think that makes total sense. It yeah. sounds like like these emotions come to you and you don't know if you're having them in reaction to something that happened five minutes ago or right. if it's grief you've been carrying with you all this exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, how do I live with carrying grief? Because it's never going to go away. But it's like, how can we, un- like what I was saying, how can we understand and, and live with light and the dark without the dark just completely taking over and us constantly feeling like our grief is the reason for this and that? Yeah. And, and that is a really good question. And I do, I do spend quite a bit of time in the book d- distinguishing between bittersweetness and mm-hmm. depression because they mm-hmm. are such different states of being, you know, with bittersweetness being more just the understanding that we live in a world in which everything we and everyone we love most is impermanent and that joy and sorrow go together. That's bittersweetness on the one hand, but then there's depression where, you know, you're, you're not, you're not seeing the joy kind of along with the sorrow. Yeah. You're not seeing the light along with the dark. It just all kind of swallows you up. And, and interestingly, like when you're in a bittersweet state, you actually feel things quite intensely. Whereas when you get into a depressed state, it can feel for many people like the absence of feeling and like a, mm-hmm. a numbness and a, mm-hmm. a cutting off. One thing that I recommend for people who feel they're carrying around a grief with them. Well, mm-hmm. there's two things I would say, actually. Please, yes. Um, okay, so one is an idea, you've probably come across it before from the writer Nora McInerney. And she, she talks about the difference between moving on, like getting over it, quote unquote, versus mm-hmm. moving forward with grief. And she was somebody, she, she lost her first husband very, very young and was overcome with grief. And she, started, and she started talking to other people who had been bereaved and asked them the question of like, what, what is the worst reaction that other people have that you really don't like? And they told her it's when people would tell them, to move on already. 
And so Mm -hmm. she started coming up with like an alternative to moving on, which is the idea of moving forward, which means that you go forth and you live your life and you form new relationships and all of it. Um, But it doesn't mean that you're leaving behind the person who's passed, who you loved so much. It's Mm -hmm. like you're you're carrying them with you into your new life. And Mm -hmm. you're recognizing that the person who you are, in her case, in that new marriage, you know, in your case, moving forward without your father and your aunt, that the person who you are is, is forever different because of the relationship you've had with that lost person. And so you're moving forward with them. You're not, you're not like having to put this artificial split into your life that says either I'm going to be grief stricken forever because I've lost them or my only other choice is to move forward and act like it never happened. No, you know, you're going to move forward and there will be grief that you carry with you, but you're also carrying that, that love. And then the second thing that I would say is the idea of that, like whatever pain you find, you cannot, you absolutely cannot get rid of mm-hmm. to kind of say, okay, I'm not going to get rid of it, but I can use it and turn it into something else. Like I, I can make it my creative offering or mm-hmm. I can make it my healing offering. So like, you know, there's so many people after 9-11 in the U.S., so many people were signing up to become firefighters. And during the pandemic, suddenly lots of people were signing up to become doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that? You, you would think the opposite should have happened. You would think right. no one would want to be a firefighter. No one would, would want to be a, a, a doctor or a nurse after seeing the worst. Right. But, but it turns out humans are built the opposite way. It's like we want to take a sorrow and transform it into something, into something right. positive. And creative artists do this all the time. I mean, there was this study that found, I wish I remember the exact statistics, but basically like something like half of the great creative artists who the researchers looked at, I think it was a full 50% of them had lost a parent by the time they were 18. Mm. And, and many of them had lost both parents by that time. Mm-hmm. So there, there seems to be some connection between you know, experiencing a loss and the transformation of that pain. Mm-hmm. It's so true. I, I think that sometimes I maybe don't give myself enough credit for how I've opened up the conversation around grief. Like yeah. I have used whatever platform I have on social media to to talk about my grief and for it to be a place where people can feel comfortable telling me they're suffering and asking me for their advice on grieving. And it's, it's something that like, I always think I wish I didn't have this experience with, but there are so many people out there that need the help and that need the community when it comes to this, that like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have ever been there, been able to be there for these people had it not happened to me. And so I try, I, I try to view it that way, obviously, like a quote half glass full situation. But I think what people most want to know when they come to me about grief is just like, how does someone quote grieve properly? Like, how do they go through the motions in the healthiest way possible for them? And that's something that can be so individual and unique to the person. I have found that for me, it's all about time. It's all about the fact I'll say something like, 
it, it's more overarching advice. Like the pain that you have right now may be hitting you constantly, but it's going to hit you less and less and less over time. And so I try to come from it from that place, but mm-hmm. I'm curious from you, from someone that has, has like studied grief and, and the process of it, is there a way for someone to actually grieve properly and make sure that they're taking care of themselves in the process? I mean, I, I don't know. I really don't think there is a way to do <laughs> yeah. it properly because everybody's so different. And, I know. And the relationships between the grieving person and the person who's passed away is so different, you know? Right. So like the grieving over, let's say a parent with whom you had a complicated or difficult relationship is really different from the grieving over a parent where you, you had a wonderful relationship where they were everything to you. Like a, a, mm-hmm you're grieving over very different kinds of losses. Right. So I, I think the first thing is not to put any expectations on yourself over mm-hmm. what you're supposed to feel or how long it's supposed to last or, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that like many people will notice that, oh, they're actually laughing and joking around on that first day. And how can that be? And, you know, and to take all of that. And, and, and then the next moment they're in floods of tears and they can't handle the call at work or whatever it is. It's hard for us to let go of our super ego that says we should be doing this and we shouldn't be doing that. But right. if there's ever a place to kind of give ourselves a break, I would say this is one of those places. It's so true. It's so true. It's like to give yourself the grace. Like if there's any time it's, it's now to give yourself the grace to feel however it is that you're feeling like there's no right or wrong when it comes to that. And yeah. I, I think it's also helpful to know the research of George Bonanno at Columbia, who, who found that the great majority of people are actually more resilient in their grief than they expect to be, which is probably because, you know, human beings have been grieving for as long as we've existed. It's right. the nature of human existence. So I, I mean, I thought of that when you were saying that you let people know that they will feel better at some point. They're mm-hmm. not always going to be feeling what they're feeling at that moment. So right. to know that that is so, and then at the same time to know that there is a subset of people who have what he describes as chronic grief, where where, where they really are feeling it for quite a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And just to know that that's also a human experience. And if you're going through that, you're not alone with that one either and to give yourself what you need. So I feel like for some people who have, whether it's chronic grief or just feel so hopeless in their grief, do you have any tips for finding the beauty in a broken situation? I mean, my biggest tips are to, number one, let yourself feel what you feel. Mm -hmm. Number two, to look for the ways to take that pain that you can't get rid of and Mm -hmm. do something with it. And I I don't mean by that, like, I mean, you're an amazing example of what I'm talking about. And at the same time, it doesn't have to be something that elaborate or successful or performative or or, or performative, right? right? All of that stuff. It doesn't have to be that. It could be, you know, noticing that the cashier at the grocery store looks a little bit down and, you know, giving them an extra smile, like whatever Mm -hmm, it is for mm -hmm. you that feels like you're putting something out into the world in recognition of the fact that you're surrounded by human grievers in a sense, 
or, you know, surrounded by people who are looking for beauty that you personally are capable of creating, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's baking a cake or planting a flower or whatever it is for you, that can be some of the best ways to deal with it. As I say, it seems to be built into the human DNA to have that kind of impulse. Totally. None of us really knows what life has in store for us. And that's true. Being human is inherently a precarious state of being. But mm -hmm. I, I actually find that incredibly liberating in a way, because if you truly know that life is a mix of joy and sorrow, and it mm -hmm. always has been for every mm -hmm. human being, well, that actually also frees you to notice the beautiful and joyful things at any given moment without so feeling true. any guilt and without feeling like, oh, now I'm compelled to be overly positive and I don't really feel that positive. Mm -hmm. No, it's not that. You, maybe you are in a state of feeling mostly sorrow that day. And it's still true that flowers are amazingly right. beautiful. And you can right. focus on one for a moment, just a moment in time, because right. that is the nature of life, that uh -huh. those two things always go together. That's, that's the great liberating thing to understand. And it's hard to come by in our culture because, you know, we're always told, well, the way to get to well-being is to be positive and optimistic and upbeat uh -huh. and all of that. And, uh -huh. and there is a place for that. But that's not actually the truest, richest happiness that we can right. have. Right. It's more like it, it, it's false. Well, thank you so much, Susan, for taking the time. I really, really, really appreciate you taking your time to chat with me today. Oh, my gosh. I really appreciate you, Wit. And thank you so much for doing it. Of course. Of course. We will be in touch. Have a really good rest of your day. You too. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.